We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. We turn in your Bibles with me to our reverse passage for this morning. It's Judges chapter 6, verses 36 through 40. It's printed in your worship folder, or you can use a Bible in the pew rack in front of you or right beside you. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you that Bible, if, that pew Bible. You can take that with you. That would be our gift to you this morning. Will you stand with me? And we'll read these verses together out loud. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl full of water. Speak once more. Please let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, and let there be dew on all the ground. God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece, and dew was on all the ground. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. This morning we're in week eight in our 13-week summer series, our reverse series, studying the book of Judges. And because Gideon is one of the main characters in this book of the Bible, our study this summer will include six lessons or passages that deal with his experience and his interaction and his leadership in the kingdom of God. This is the third text about Gideon in this series. Gideon is not the only judge that we've studied or that we will study, but it's been an amazing to see and gain insight from the scriptures as the Lord has used a variety of different persons and personalities to deliver the Israelites back into a right relationship with himself. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah. And what we've learned, what we've discovered through this study is there's a repeated pattern that Israel has fallen into. Rebellion, followed by discipline, then repentance, then rescue and peace until that judge, that deliverer dies and then it's back to the same cycle. Judges 6 is another repetition of this pattern. It picks up right in rebellion. The rebellion of the Israelites. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so they move from there to God's punishment, which is destruction and the pillaging of their land, their animals, their crops, their way of living by the Midianites. For seven years this has gone on. And it brings them to a point of repentance in verse 6 where they cry out to God and God sends a prophet to remind them of his goodness 
in verse eight, he reminds them of his goodness over their history, specifically Egypt, and he reminds them of their disobedience. Now the prophet was a new facet to the pattern, and it just happened with Gideon, and God uses that prophet to do that. And then he reminds them of their disobedience, he reminds them of where they are, why they're in this situation. And then we're introduced to the person and personality of Gideon, the next judge for Israel, if you will, whom God is choosing to use to rescue his people. Our text this morning is the last section of chapter six, and it's the culminating event that, uh, spoiler alert, prepares God's chosen leader and his people for battle and for God's rescue from the Midianites and others. Just a couple of notes for me. It can sometimes be very tricky to read and study texts that we're very familiar with. Several, if not most, in this room have known and read this passage of the fleece almost from infancy. We must be careful to keep a fresh approach as we study and we think about the scriptures almost as if we're experiencing for the first time because that's exactly what's happening in this narrative. Gideon is experiencing all these things. The Israelites are experiencing all these things for the first time in, re in real time. We must also guard against thinking of this just as a story rather than a narrative that fits within the greater and longer account of God's love and redemption of his people. And you're gonna hear me say that several times this morning. Therefore, I want to submit that this passage is less about fleece and more about faith. And I also want to submit to you that this passage is less about miracles and more about the mission and message of God, which is the redemption of a people that he calls to be his very own. That was one of the truths we gleaned as we did our winter Bible study, December, January, and February. You remember we worked our way through the book of Mark, and not the whole book, just parts of Mark in particular, it was, it was the miracles of Jesus. Jesus would come out and he would do miracles, and he would meet needs, and he would help people. But with those miracles, he always pointed to a longer and a bigger and a higher truth. The kingdom of God, the gospel, grace, love, and kindness. And that's the same thing that's happening here. That's, that's exactly the same thing. I believe that was true of, of the New Testament and Jesus' miracles. I believe it's the same truth that we apply to this text. And, and furthermore, I think it's the same filter that we can apply to the text of the scriptures. All the scriptures can be found in that context. I'm gonna be using and referring to previous verses in Judges 6 to unpack our, our small portion of text this morning. I think it will help and shed light on opportunities for application and understanding. This morning I want us to think about Gideon, God, and grace in that context and in the light of this narrative about the mission and purpose of God. We'll spend most of our time this morning in this teaching time on Gideon because it's his experience we're focused on in this week's reverse. So what we see in chapter six is that Gideon is being called into the role of a judge. He's also having to quickly discover and learn who God really is. Here's, here's why, this is, it's, it, the timing is amazing. He's moving from being engulfed in a pagan culture 
in his community, even in his own household for the last seven years, he's being moved from that place to something completely different, a vibrant and real relationship with the living God. Almost overnight, very quickly, he goes from hiding to being called by an angel to testing God to seeing meat and cakes consumed by the Lord to building an altar and worshiping God to being told by God to destroy pagan altars that everybody's gonna see and take notice of and know that he did it. He also was told to build an altar to the living God that everybody was gonna see and take notice and know that he did it. And now in this text, he's at the brink of leading God's army into battle against the very enemy that we're told earlier in chapter six was too numerous to count, who has been crushing Gideon, his family, and his tribe, and his people. Does that make your head swim? It does me. God was working and moving, and he was doing so in a short amount of time. Gideon is drinking through the proverbial fire hose, and it's happening in God's time, and it's happening fast. Now, honestly, if you had to think about this experience first time, it's all happening to you in real time, who wouldn't be somewhat hesitant with the intensity and the timing of this dramatic turn of events? I sure would. I sure would. But what we see in this text and throughout this chapter is that Gideon is slowly but surely growing. And so in your notes, there's Gideon, and out beside that, you can write the word, is growing. And I think there's three, three facets, three ways, and three indicators that, know, that allow us to know that he's growing. The first is that Gideon is obedient. He's caught off guard, but he's obedient. He's scared but he's obedient. He is reluctant, but he's obedient. He's way out of his comfort zone, but he's obedient. He asks for signs, he goes at night, he takes others with him, but he's obedient. He puts meat and cakes on a rock, sees them consumed, he destroys altars, he builds altars, he blows the trumpet. He's obedient. In God's great economy, obedience is essential. Heroism is optional. I'll say that again. In God's great economy, obedience is essential. Heroism is optional. That's why he often uses the least likely. Now he can use and choose anybody he wants, but oftentimes, and especially as we think about this text in Judges chapter six, we understand that God will choose the least likely. And that Gideon makes his case. Our tribe is the least, I'm the last in the house, you got the wrong guy. And God says, no, I've got the guy that's gonna be obedient, and that's the right guy. That's why he wants to use you and me. Because oftentimes when we think about ourselves in mission and in purpose with God, we think, I'm the least and likely. But his expectation for Gideon, his expectation for us is the same. It's obedience. And so Gideon is growing because he is obedient. Second, Gideon is growing because he is seeking God. He's seeking God with humility and with boldness. 
God initiates the first two conversations and interactions. The first one, in verse 11, God sends an angel who comes and finds Gideon while he's hiding. Now, most scholars believe that the angel was a pre-incarnate revelation of God. That's another sermon for another time. But let's just understand that God is using that angel however he sees fit. And what the angel is doing is he is proclaiming to Gideon, God is going to use you. You are going to be used. God is calling you into this work and with this ministry. And he has a good word. He calls him warrior. Gideon never heard that word before, used about himself. And so God seeks out Gideon, that first encounter. The second encounter, God initiates that one as well and tells Gideon to tear down idols to false and pagan gods and in addition to build an altar to the Lord your God. So the first two times God is approaching Gideon. Oh, but I want you to see what happens in our text this morning. Verse 36. Progress. Gideon is calling on God. Look at the first few words of verse 36. Gideon said to God. He starts the conversation. And just as you might expect, it's intense. Can you picture what's happening in Gideon's heart and and Gideon's mind? Um, It's happening. Lord, the armies, you know, the Midianites and the Amalekites, the ones that look like locusts, there's so many, I can't even count their camels. The ones that have been pushing us around for seven years, the ones that you say I'm going to defeat, they're back. And uh, I blew the trumpet, and our side is gathering, and trouble's coming. It's way bigger than I thought. It's going to be harder than I ever imagined. It's getting real. And that's my guess. That's me being inside Gideon. That, that's, but the text, listen to what, when Gideon responds to God, what he talks about. This is what he's telling God. Get these things. I do know your plan. I do know your promise. I need assurance. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's, it's exactly the conversation that Jesus had with his heavenly father in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that? I I know the plan. I know your promise. I need assurance, Father. If there's any way, and Jesus prays and requests, and Jesus gets his answer. Humbly, confidently, gently, he prays. I think Gideon's the same way. He comes to God in humility, saying, I know your plan. I know your promise. I need assurance. It was humble, but it was bold, no doubt about it. Lord, I'm asking for another sign, and then I'm going to ask for another one. So let's just be honest, that's a big ask, a sign, the fleece, not once, but twice. But Gideon's perspective has grown, it's changed When God first spoke to Gideon, Gideon's response was, if I can do this. Verse 15, if I can do this, if, really? Do you know who you got? 
But his words in the text today are completely different. I need assurance. He still uses that word if. And all through this account, Gideon never quits being Gideon. He, he, he uses that word if is like his favorite word to God. That's how he starts almost every sentence with God. Is, well, if, and if, and if. But he says this. He says, if you will do this through me. Oh, that's completely different, isn't it? He's seeking God and you can see what's happening. His heart is changing. There's, there's growth in his life. It's, it's a baby step. But God's grace always prepares us for and will lead us to take the next step. Do you know what the next step is? Are you at a place where you do know? Then obedience is your, is your solution. If you're uncertain, you're unclear, God says, ask. More, more about that in a second. Gideon was not trying to determine the will of God. He was not trying to make a decision. He's asking the Lord to confirm his will, his path, and his timing. Now listen, as a new follower, he's still personally learning the character and the nature and the power of God. He hasn't really paid attention much to God in the last seven years, and it, it showed when God first talked to him, but he's, he's getting there, he's, he's growing. Think about this, when Gideon talks to God, the thing he references, the only thing he knows about God is miracles. You did the miracles in Egypt to get us out of Egypt. That's, that's what I remember. Where are the miracles? Was his question, part, essentially his question to God. And so when he says, I need assurance, maybe, perhaps, that's what's on his mind. And he says, God, I need a miracle. This is not a formula. And God acts the same way. I want you to see God incarnate, Jesus Christ, in, in, in the book of Matthew chapter seven. He says, ask of me, Seek from me. And this is what he says. He says, God will give you what is good. And this is not a formula to get whatever we want and ask for. But it's a way to find direction and instruction. It is direction and instruction to get the help and assurance we need. Listen to, listen to the book of Hebrews that warn us about this very same thing. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This request or test, should the Lord grant it, would have put Gideon in a place where there would never be any doubt again. All bets are off if God does this. Listen to Jordan J. Ketty. God's love is a love that will not let his servants go. And the Lord, in giving the requested signs, shuts off any way of escape that Gideon might have desired. Now he had to face his task as Israel's judge. This would close the issue of God's purpose and mission for Gideon. God shows great kindness and has great patience to Gideon. That's good news, folks. He does. He does that with us. It reminds me of doubting Thomas. You remember what Daddy, he said in, in John chapter 20? Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and unless, unless I put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He's asking for a sign. Jesus shows up eight days later, walks in the room, 
And he looks at Thomas and he says, reach here with your finger. See my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. Now from what we read, Thomas never did touch Jesus. He never needed to. He came to a conclusion. It was a defining moment. And in fact, Thomas makes the highest confession of faith that we'd found in the New Testament. My Lord and my God. Thomas was settled. Gideon was settled as well. By the way, in the rest of the scriptures, Thomas never questions or tests God again. It was a defining moment. If he's doing all that, if he's seeking He's also listening to God's voice. In our text this morning, as part of his prayer request, Gideon uses God's words, deliver Israel. The same words God uses, tells him, I want you to deliver Israel. And he says, if I'm gonna deliver Israel, and then he says, as you have spoken. He's thinking through God's words. They're on his mind, they're on his heart. In fact, it's God's accusation against Israel. You ignored my words, you did not obey me. And friends, those go together. Hebrews chapter two is a warning for New Testament Christians about this same thing. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away from it. So I'm gonna quit preaching and start meddling. What does your personal interaction with God's voice through his word look like? Reading, memorizing, thinking, saying out loud, what does it look like? I'm reading a book this summer with my son Marshall. It's, it's about spiritual disciplines. It's called Habits of Grace by Dave Mathis. Listen to what he says about the importance of hearing God's voice through the scripture. No other person is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. What is it that's capturing your idle thoughts? What fear or frustration is filling your spare moments? Will you just listen to yourself or will you start talking? No, will you start preaching? Not letting your concerns shape you, but forming your concerns by the gospel. Preaching the gospel to ourselves is a spiritual discipline that is both proactive and reactive. It's reactive as we encounter temptation and frustration and seek to restock in the moment or as we reflect back on our sin and circumstances and try to evaluate them with a gospel lens. But it's also proactive. It goes on the offense. When we feed our souls in some regular rhythm before the events and tasks and disappointments of daily life begin streaming our way, it's proactive. listening to God's voice, seeking after God. Gideon is growing. Are you growing? If this text is about Gideon, it's also about God. So here's the, the words. God is equipping and empowering. It's an old quote, but the truth is very relevant to Gideon, and I think to us. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Amen? So what's he equipping Gideon to do? To do what? God has called Gideon, it is his process of equipping and empowering him to join in his purpose and mission, to rescue and redeem his chosen people to live in right relationship with him. On the micro level, the mission is as unique as individuals, as each individual. 
It's Midianites. It's, it's rebellion. It's punishment for seven years. It's a specific ministry. It's a specific conversation. It's specific assignments for us. It's, it's micro. It's each one of us. God does the same thing. There are specific roles. There are specific people that God brings in our path. And he says, if you're on mission with me, you'll use this for my greater purpose. But if it's micro, it's also macro. On the macro level, the mission never changes. God has used prophets, judges, kings, and now he uses the king of kings, his son Jesus Christ, to come and to rescue and call his people to himself so that they, or we, may join in this great mission. Amen? He's doing that. He's still doing that. The mission never changes in a macro level. That's the wonder of the scriptures. It's the wonder of each of our lives. It's the wonder of all of our lives, all of our stories, all of our experiences, each of our experiences. It's a wonderful tapestry woven together, including now, as far back as the scriptures tell us, and as long as Jesus tarries. God is in the business of rescuing people who've rebelled against him and are in desperate need of forgiveness and life on mission with him. Wasn't that the Israelites? Wasn't that exactly where they are? They need this. They need rescue. Wasn't that Gideon? Wasn't that you and me when God came and found us? Same mission. Same call. Same God. So that's what he was equipping Gideon for, was that great mission. How was he doing it? God is empowering Gideon with his presence and his promise. Look at verse 34, chapter 6, just a couple of verses before our text. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Presence. And look at verse 12 and 16, the same promise. I will be with you. And church family, there's great news. He empowers us for the same mission with the same presence and the same promise. Look at Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Matthew's version of that, that great commission, that, that commissioning time, that sending people out on mission, he says this, and I am with you always. Same promise. This good and patient God helps Gideon get there with his presence and his promise. He has him poised and ready for this incredible assignment, delivering Israel. God's presence and promise equips and empowers us for whatever he has in store. This hour, this day, this week, this season of life, new chapters, next chapters. God is working. Scripture tells us that over and over. God is working, empowering us, equipping us for what comes next. If this text is about God, then it's also about grace. Everything God does to us, for us, and with us, is an expression of his grace. Why? 
because all of God's works find their ultimate meaning in his mission and purpose of redeeming and restoring people to a right relationship with him that gives life, hope, purpose, and joy for his glory and the good of others. Let me say it in a different way. Everything God does is gracious. Conviction. Punishment. Just just listen to these words. Forgiveness. Listening. Leading. Confronting. Teaching. Beginning. Ending. Correcting. Changing. Calling. Comforting. Assuring. Blessing. Providing. You get the point? Does some of these sound terrifying to you? You do to me. Does some of these sound so good and so sweet? They do to me. That's because grace is both assuring and terrifying. It's a profound paradox. By grace, God is calling Gideon to go lead his people into war. That's terrifying. And by grace, God is calling Gideon to go, and by grace, God is bringing assurance to Gideon by doing what he has requested. That's God's grace. John Newton gives us a keen insight to this truth and this dynamic. You know the words. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." What an amazing God. What blessed assurance he brings us as we join him in his mission and purpose. Let's pray together. Lord, you are so much wiser than we are. You are bigger. You are stronger. And so today, may the voice of your spirit speak through your word. Call us. Move us forward. Bring us assurance. Help us. Rescue us. Convict us. Encourage us. And our response will be to obey. Lord, in these moments, use this time like you use every moment for your glory and our good. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory and the honor that are due your name. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.